And a lot of people are doing that stuff, but they never break through. And the what my experience has taught me, my personal experience, what I've seen and what I've been taught is that you have to believe, you have to believe that things are possible. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, thank you for pressing play on this episode, number 67. Welcome back. We have a great show for you today, one of inspiration. I sincerely hope you are inspired because this This story that you're going to hear today from our guest is like none other we've had on the show to date. And first, I want to share a couple of personal experiences to help put things in perspective. Once upon a time, I had a tooth pulled and I was not able to perform or practice trumpet for one month. On a separate occasion, I was in a car accident and I was not able to practice or perform trumpet for three months. Now, if you're a trumpet player, you already know how significant that is. But let me help to put this in perspective. If you take one week off of the trumpet, it's like your your body forgets that you ever really learned how to play. It's, it's almost like starting over. And it's really hard if you're depending on this to earn a living, to earn your career. Well, today's guest had a heart attack and couldn't play trumpet for one full year the good news is that he's alive today to tell the story and he's gonna he's been very bold enough to share his experiences with us and since he's made a full recovery and has a second start to his career if you will i'm happy to bring to you today someone who is a sixth generation musician from new orleans louisiana and has had the privilege of working with Kirk Franklin, among many others. Today, I'm happy to present to you Mr. Thaddeus Ford. Thaddeus, welcome to Behind the Note Podcast. We're glad to have you. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. We want to get to know you a little bit. So will you tell us, to start off, what you like to do for fun when you're not working on your craft? Oh, I love cooking. I'm, I'm originally from New Orleans, so cooking is my passion. Uh, I'm into all different types of art. Uh, photography, visual, what have you. But, I mean, cooking is probably the the thing that I dig the most outside of music. Tell us, how do you earn your living in music? Because there's so many ways to do it. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm probably just like most people. Got multiple streams of income. Uh, most of it comes from performing. Touring, obviously, is, is the, the big tickets for me. But performing locally, obviously, subsidizes that between big tours uh, i also teach so between those three things or yeah between those three things that's pretty much the uh the, the bread and butter of my income i come to know of you through social media actually uh, we probably have some mutual friends i think possibly and so I, I get to follow you on facebook and i see some really cool posts that you make some of them are funny some of them are, are a little <laughs> bit more serious Sure. Um, and like, for example, <laughs> one of the most recent ones I had to like tag this, uh, some, some say work smart. You wrote this. Mm-hmm. Some say work hard. I say work hashtag smart. <laughs> exactly. And I, I like, I don't, first of all, hashtag smart is actually a thing. And I didn't know that. 
I didn't either. <laughs> so, but but I like what you're saying. Work smart and work hard. And, Absolutely. Um, I translate hard personally to mean diligent work. And in, in another uh, post here, you say unforgiveness is the mother of all failed relationships, reduced hope, and broken dreams. And that one's a that one's a little bit more serious. And um, I like I like that stuff personally. So. I see some similar posts that you write, and it leads me to ask this question about your spiritual life. How has your spiritual life influenced your music? It, it, I have a, a good friend. Um, I call him my spiritual advisor or my spiritual father. But one of the things that he talks to me about all the time is developing your character before your content. And basically what that means, I mean, we, you know, you're an artist, I'm an artist, and we, we love art. We love different artists. But a lot of times what I found personally is that I can like somebody's artwork, but not necessarily be, be able to relate to them as a person. And particularly in the, in the field of arts, I find that, you know, the, the personality types and things of that nature run the gamut from, you know, really, really sane to really, really insane. And one of the things that I've tried to to develop in my own personal life, uh, particularly in the last six years, is just being able to be, you know, grounded as a man, first and foremost, and then letting everything that I do artistically be born out of that, as opposed to the other way around, where I'm concentrating so much on creating art and putting out content, but it not really coming from a, a real honest place. So everything that I do artistically is born out of who I am and how I'm developing as a man, first and foremost. That's very good. And uh, I want to piggyback on that. I discovered when I perform jazz standards, people are interested, but not as interested as when I perform original material and absolutely same here yeah and they can't get enough of the original material now why would that be i mean it's jazz standard is a standard because it's good music well i i think that a lot of times particularly with jazz standards is that they were most of them probably 98 percent of them were written 30 40 50 60 years ago and the people who wrote them wrote those songs for whatever reason you know it could have been for a broadway play or you know whatever the case may be or, or it might have been personal but a lot of times they were for specific things and i think that music and art in general just without getting technical but i, I think that they have certain vibrations and i think that when people listen to something in front of you knowing that it came directly from you and from a personal experience or from a personal perspective i think that it just creates sort of a, a give and take that they may or may not be able to receive from just a song that was written 50 years ago now if we you know get into a time machine and go back 50 years it may have a different effect on them because it's it's more relatable to that person at that time but uh i, I agree with you my my original music gets far better response than anything that i play and it's not a technical thing it's not a swinging versus groove thing it's just i think people have a desire to be moved by something that they can relate to right now and i also think it's possibly because you're giving a piece of your spirit 
through yeah. the music directly to the listener. And yes. it's authentic because it comes from you. It's not secondhand. Exactly. There's no so, middleman. Right. From your heart to theirs. Yeah. So that's really good. So for everyone listening, please write, write new music. So I understand that is that you come from a lineage of musicians, New Orleans musicians. That is. Mm. Will you tell us about about that? Yeah, my uh, I'm a sixth generation jazz musician originally from New Orleans. Uh, my family moved to New Orleans in 1875 from the Dominican Republic, Santo Domingo. Time out. To be I'm, a- I'm sorry that that would make them like original, <laughs> like when when jazz began. Yeah, exactly. They were there, wow. you know, and uh, so so they they were there at the the cusp of of Amir wasn't even called jazz, and Amir was just music, you know, that people were creating again out of a a real place, and so my family's been in New Orleans since then. Some of the more prominent musicians in my family, my grandfather Clarence Ford, senior. Uh, he played and toured with Fats Domino for twenty plus years. Um, he was a he worked heavily in the studios in the fifties and sixties in New Orleans when a lot of cats were in New Orleans uh, recording rock and roll records like uh, Little Richard, Guitar Slim, all of those kind of people. Um, my great cousin, who is my uh, grandfather's contemporary, his name is Charlie Gabriel. He um, he plays with the Preservation Hall Jazz Band in New Orleans right now. He's the actual actually the oldest living musician in our family right now. He's in his 80s. Uh, my Uncle Louis Ford, he uh, played with Harry Connick Jr.'s big band for years. Uh, he's back in New Orleans. Uh, he plays with uh, Preservation Hall as well, and he's also got his own group, and he travels a lot. A lot of my family in the 50s moved to Detroit uh, when the motor industry uh, started taking off. And uh, so half of my family, which is the Gabriel family, uh, lives in Detroit, and the other half stayed in New Orleans. So um, are you somewhat royalty in in New Orleans? Seriously. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, there's so many musical families in New Orleans. Mine is one of them. Uh, everybody around the world knows the Marsalis family. Uh, there's the Batiste family. There's the... There's just so much, the Andrews family, Troy Andrews, James Andrews, Troy Andrews is trombone shorty, as everybody knows him as. Um, there's so many. I mean, you. It's almost like if you're a musician from New Orleans, you don't. You're not like in a vacuum. You're either related directly to somebody else, or you know, second, third related some kind of way. But there's so many musical families in New Orleans. I see. So it kind of cancels out then for you. It, yes and no. I mean, it, I, I can honestly say that growing up with my last name in New Orleans was was definitely a perk. I uh, not to say I didn't have to work hard for things, but there were a lot of doors open for me. Um, I mean, for instance, I went to the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, uh, which is a performing arts high school in New Orleans, and I actually didn't know that I wanted to go there or that I could go there until the the day before the school season was supposed to begin. And I literally went to the director's house because he had a relationship with my grandfather and I auditioned at his house on his back porch. And, um, I mean, we didn't do any proper paperwork. So he was like, I'm going to write this handwritten note. His name is Clyde Kerr Jr. Uh, trumpet player. He, he passed away a few years ago, but he wrote this handwritten note and he was like, give it to your bus driver and just tell him to bring you to uh, this school tomorrow. 
And the only reason I was able to do that is because he had a relationship with my grandfather. And when I went to the University of New Orleans and studied with Ellis Marcellus, the same thing. I I didn't realize I was going to be going there. And I uh, called Ellis up and his wife, Dolores, answered the phone. And she was like, what's your name? I said, Thaddeus Ford. She was like, are you Clarence's grandson? I said, yeah. She's like, okay, well, let me put Ellis on the phone. And he said, well, just come to my office tomorrow and we'll uh, we'll, we'll, uh, audition you and see where you fit in. And I got into UNO, University of New Orleans, the same way. So to answer your question, I definitely benefited from it, but a lot of other people have those same uh, perks in New Orleans as I did. I am, how can I say this? Well, my grandfather is a pastor, and he he pastors in Harvey, Illinois. So I discovered, I, if I walk through Harvey, Illinois, somebody will look at me and they'll say, you are Napoleon Davis's son, aren't you? And I'll say, no. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'll say, I'm his grandson. Oh, yeah, you look just like him. And, and so that op- that opens up things. So, um, well, I just want my point is this uh, to everybody who might fall in that category, own it. I, For me, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. But then I realized, you know, that it's, a, it's something that everyone doesn't have. Absolutely. And, uh, Use it to your advantage to help people if, when you can. And so Exactly. So you're pretty open with the fact that you've had a heart attack. And I wanted to talk to you about that. Will you, will you tell us the story of what happened at that time and how you recovered? Sure. I, um, I was preparing for a world premiere concert of some original music of mine. And we're piggybacking off of that whole original music thing. But... Um, for most of my career, I played standards and, you know, just everybody else's tunes. Every now and then I would throw in an original just because. Um, but anyhow, uh, three days before my 35th birthday uh, in 2013, I was preparing for this concert. It was the, my debut as a composer. And I was driving to a rehearsal for it and I started having. Uh, some symptoms and obviously I didn't realize that I was having a heart attack. Uh, I was, you know, 34 years old, three days before my 35th. So heart attack doesn't really register. I was a fairly healthy dude on the outside. I mean, I ate pretty well and so forth and so on. So anyway, long story short, I uh, pulled to the side of the road and just, you know, went through all of the traditional symptoms of having a heart attack and I came to just enough to drive back to my then girlfriend's home, which was about five minutes away. And I get to her house and, you know, I was pretty much out of it. And I just kept telling her that, you know, I need some water. You know, I don't know what's going on. I think I'm having some type of anxiety attack. And she was like, no, this is a little different. So, um, she rushed me to the emergency room and, uh, they were like, well, you know, they hooked me up to the EKG, which is the heart monitor deal. And uh, they said, well, you, you're having a heart attack, sir. And they said, well, you know, why didn't you come in sooner? You know, and I said, well, I was busy. <laughs> and the, the cardiologist looked me in my eyes and said, well, if you were busy for about one more hour, you wouldn't be here anymore. So they uh, performed emergency surgery. Uh, turns out one of my arteries was 100% blocked. And uh, they performed surgery, put a stent inside of the artery, and saved my life. And uh, my father actually passed away in 1999 from a heart attack, uh, but he was a heavy smoker. He was also a trumpet player, and um, he passed away when he was 44. So 
Um, he had an enlarged heart. And so I, I had a predisposition to uh, cardiovascular issues. And I didn't really know it because, you know, like I said, I thought I was fairly healthy and I had not seen a cardiologist before. So it, it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, at the doctor's request, I stayed off of the trumpet for literally one year, which means exactly what it sounds like. I didn't pick up the trumpet for one year. I didn't perform. I didn't uh, practice. And, you know, every visit I would ask, you know, you think it's time for me to pick the trumpet back up? And he said, well, no, not yet. And so one year passed and he finally gave me the green light and I launched the comeback in 2014. And um, I've been strong and kicking and the heart's still ticking and uh, all signs look positive okay i got some questions based on that story and thanks for being vulnerable here with us sure uh don't want to really skip over what what were the symptoms that you experienced just to help make people aware well the first thing i experienced was uh just loss of breath um it was almost to the point of like hyperventilating um which again could be symptoms of, of various things so i didn't my first thought wasn't this is a heart attack. I just thought, you know, maybe the pressure of this world debut of uh, being a composer is getting to me. Who knows? Um, then the second thing was just profuse sweating. I mean, it, it was literally like somebody dumped a bucket of water on me. I mean, drenched within seconds or minutes. Um, and then there was the the typical tingling of the extremities, fingers, arms, what have you. Uh, and then extreme nausea nausea and then vomiting and that was that was pretty much my symptoms wow that's very heavy <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, and again mm -hmm. uh, until i got to the emergency room i it never dawned upon me heart attack never so you you said no horn no playing for a year exactly how did you how did you deal with that it was extremely tough at first uh, because, I mean, as you know, I mean, they say that uh, one day off of the trumpet is like two days off of any other instrument because it's just such a physically demanding instrument. And obviously, you know, we learn to play it with less physicality, but nonetheless, it's still a physical instrument. And so it was extremely difficult for me to accept that fact because I knew that you know, if I take this much time off, it's it's going to be a lot of work getting back to it. Um, but after I got over that fact, and and again, a lot of my spiritual awaken awakening uh, happened during during that period where I was off of uh, the trumpet. A lot happened prior to that, but a lot happened during that period. And so I, I kind of just took it as, you know, if I'm not going to play, if I'm not going to have the sensation or the uh, the income or the everything else that came with playing the trumpet, then I'm going to use this time wisely to develop myself in other areas. Um, and I did. So once I, once I co-signed with that, it, it sort of, it was almost liberating to be honest with you. Because, you know, we come up under the, the the generation, under the young lions generation where it's, you know, it's it's hustle, hustle, hustle. And, you know, just just especially as trumpet players, you know, we, we're like alpha males. We we put so much into the horn. We put so much into trying to 
you know, be leaders and just that whole thing that it was almost liberating to not have to approach the trumpet and approach music from such a, you know, aggressive manner. And not to say that that's wrong in and of itself, but for me, I think it was cool just to, to be able to pump the brakes and kind of reevaluate why I was doing what I was doing. That's very good. Um, yeah, it's it's no accident that you were slowed down and then had a spiritual awakening. And now you're all the better for it and sharing a message even right here, right now. So, Absolutely. You're welcome. One of the hard parts is that you decided that you want to continue playing. So you had to build that up. So first of all, you had to get your chops back. And I can I can only imagine uh, as a player myself what that must have been like. And then secondly, uh, your the people who were supporting you, your fans, how, how did you get both of those things back? Well, the, the chops aspect, uh, once I realized that I wasn't going to be able to play for a year and I got over that fact, it almost kind of recharged me, reinvigorated me. And I said to myself, you know what, any deficiencies that I had prior to uh, the heart attack, I'm going to, you know, this is the, the best time, better than ever, to kind of sit back and really address those issues without the pressure of still performing and still having to be on stage and, you know, just, just, I mean, as you know, just, just blowing. So, uh, I have a good friend. His name is uh, Kenyatta Beasley. He's originally from New Orleans, uh, but he, he lives in New York, lives and plays out in New York right now, trumpet player. And I had heard of this book called Flexes for years, uh, written by John McNeil, uh, trumpet player at the New England Conservatory. And, uh, it basically addresses playing the instrument from top to bottom um, as effortlessly as possible. So it's basically like trumpet calisthenics and using the air properly, what have you. So uh, Kenyatta was like, man, you know, I said, I think I'm going to check this book out. He was like, you need this book. So I got that book and I worked on that book slowly but surely every day. And it, 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 it totally changed the way I approached the instrument just in terms of, you know, how much I'm putting into it and what I'm getting out of it. So instead of muscling everything like I used to, um, I learned to use my air a little bit better and just, you know, still aggressively, but, uh, more efficiently. And I also, I play, uh, trumpets made by Jason Harrelson and he makes the, the most efficient trumpet players trumpets in the world. So having that new horn and this new concept of playing uh, gave me a, a lot more freedom than I had prior to the heart attack. And then in terms of just, you know, fans and uh, people who supported me before, um, to be honest with you, it's like you said, it, it was sort of like a blessing in disguise because uh, people who appreciated me musically and who I was prior to that, they really dove in and co-signed with me uh, after the heart attack. Um, Cause you know, they, you know, I'm, I'm really visible on social media. So people were literally walking that road with me from, you know, the heart attack to the recovery. They, they were right there with me. So I, I gained some new fans and in, in the ones that I had prior to just kind of, uh, dug in deeper with me. Wow, that's very good. So I want to ask you this. What are some of your habits that are responsible for your success today? I think that I'm always kind of sharpening the saw. I know that sounds cliche, but I mean, that's pretty much my, my, uh, my modus operatus uh, from the trumpet 
the, the, the trumpet honestly is, is secondary to me. I think for me personally as an artist, like we said originally, I really believe in character over content or before content. So, um, my everything in my life is is sort of like concentric circles nothing is isolated nothing is you know my family comes first before anything trumpet related uh my health comes first before anything trumpet related so when i finally get to the trumpet you know it's i feel far more grounded as opposed to how i live the first you know, 20 plus years of my life of just, you know, trumpet, 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 music, music, music. And, uh, you know, after having a heart attack and other personal things that I experienced, I realized that at the end of the day, the trumpet is just an instrument, literally and figuratively. It's an instrument to proclaim, to, to communicate something. But if you don't have anything to communicate, then it's just notes. And, you know, you can essentially train a monkey to make the same notes if you want to but as a human becoming you know my best self then as i do that then what i'm trying to communicate becomes more and more authentic and people relate to it those who have ears to hear hear it i want to ask you this uh what's your advice to a young player who's got the chops and maybe they're just beginning their career what would you tell them if they said, hey, how do I get started in this music scene? What what do I have to do? What would you tell them? I think that confidence, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, personally, particularly with the trumpet, but just with any instrument, any I mean, vocal instrument, it doesn't matter. I think confidence is such a, a big thing because I find, I teach, and I find that there's so many people who have some talent, you know, let's say beginning intermediate students. But if you lack the belief that things are possible, then talent, I mean, it, it, it dries up. And I've also seen the opposite of that, which is people who have less talent, but who have a certain belief that things are possible, who have a sense of hope. They, some kind of way between the talent you have and the hope that you see for yourself, it it, it, it kind of hits a crossroad. And then that's when things start to develop. So, you know, I could go down the laundry list of, okay, well, you know, transcribe or go sit in a lot or all these various musical things that we're taught in college and so forth and so on. But I think in today's society, obviously practice, obviously, you know, go through all of the, the, um, the necessary technical things and musical things to develop your craft. But beyond that, when we're talking about being a musician, when we're talking about being an artist, you've got to, got to invest in, believing in yourself you've got to invest and find people who can support that belief in yourself and you know that goes beyond music but particularly to be a professional musician and i mean musician dancer photographer it doesn't matter to me to be a professional artist you've got to cultivate a culture of belief and hope and not let anything or anybody destroy that hope because Everything and everybody, if there is an opportunity to destroy that hope, they will take that opportunity. So you've got to develop a culture around you and within you that combats that hope, whatever that means for you. I'm sorry, combat that uh, lack of hope, lack of uh, support. 
because we've all had it. I mean, we we've all been through situations and people where it was just, you know, hopeless. But you you can't ever let go of that hope. Yes. Never let go. Cultivate it. I agree because when you when you lose it, you you lose just for lack of hope. And uh, we, absolutely, we, yeah, we see athletes uh, that happens too often. And recently, Ronda Rousey got smashed. Exactly. <laughs> And it wasn't for lack of skill. Yes, because because that 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 right that last match that she went through. I mean, I actually I'm not even a big uh, UFC MMA kind of guy, but for whatever reason, it's popular. So I, I checked it out the 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 aftermath of her defeat, the most recent one. And one of the things that stood out to me was that after that first defeat, they said she was suicidal. That she you know had thoughts of suicide and that's that's really hard to overcome if you if you've lost hope and she clearly lost hope but she went through the motions you know she practiced she went to the gym and she still got defeated almost worse than she did that previous one because she she lost hope she lost hope and she couldn't get it back unfortunately and so to younger musicians we're dealing with the lag go but go ahead yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to say to to okay to to younger musicians, you know, piggybacking off what I just said is, you know, I've seen so many people who spent hours in the woodshed or, you know, so forth and so on. And again, this is not obviously a knock against the woodshed. This is just simply, you know, how do you after you've woodshed it, after you've transcribed, after you've you've sat in it, after you've you know done all of the stuff that we're taught to do. Then what? So my advice would be to, again, to not lose hope because you can do all of that stuff. And a lot of people are doing that stuff, but they never break through. And the what my experience has taught me, my personal experience, what I've seen and what I've been taught is that you have to believe. You have to believe that things are possible because the moment you let that disbelief set in, it's, it's, a, it's a virus. It's a cancer and it's going to permeate everything you do. No matter how much you share, you know. Yeah. So the the theme is hope. That's very good. And you said something there, which is uh, going through the motions. It's, it's not enough. And the other thing is the scriptures say a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I didn't really. In all of his ways. In all of Absolutely. his ways. I didn't really understand, fully understand that. And I probably still don't. But. One thing I learned about that is that if you're thinking about this and that, should I do this? But I could also do that. You're not going to do either uh, the best. But the other the other thing is. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing is. Uh, if you don't, you're talking about hope and belief. Well, if you're if you're doubting, you're going to be unstable and therefore not only are you not giving your best, but you're not setting yourself up for success. Exactly. So you're just making your job harder. So, man, thanks a lot for that. So I want to make sure that people can get a hold of you and follow you. Everybody who wants to hear your music, how how can they do that? Well, there's the website, and that's just my name, ThaddeusFord.com. I'm on, I guess, most of the major social media platforms. Uh I have a personal Facebook page, which is just my name again, Thaddeus Ford. There's my Facebook music page, which is Thaddeus Ford Music. 
Uh, Instagram is Thaddeus Ford underscore music. Twitter, Thaddeus Ford. Snapchat, I guess I, I guess those are the most major ones. But I also have a WordPress uh, blog. It's called A Picture, A Lamp, and A Trumpet. So I'm, I'm pretty active socially, social media. Well, we're going to follow you. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us today. It was really nice speaking with you. Thank you for having me, brother. And there you have our talk with Thaddeus Ford. I'm so thankful that he was willing to share that very intimate story. Very, That was very um, courageous, very bold. And I hope it inspired you. And if it did, let us know. Go to BehindTheNote.com and leave a voicemail. And let us know that you were actually touched by by this and that you're going to keep moving forward in your journey, wherever you are in your journey. Also, you can choose to leave a voicemail and just ask a general question about about music and uh, having a successful music career. We're going to get the people here that will help you to, to guide you in the right direction. Don't miss an episode of Behind the No Podcast. Subscribe to the show on the device that you're listening to it on right now be it iTunes, Stitcher, iPhone, Android, just subscribe to the show. You're not going to want to miss these upcoming episodes. Matter of fact, in the next show, I'm happy to bring to you Mr. Winton Marcellus. Subscribe to the show, tell your friends, and I'll see you in the next episode. God bless you. <laughs>